wore my houndstooth pants for all you Alabama fans today. I'm getting rid of these pants tomorrow. Now, for those of you who are wondering what's going on, because there may be a few in here that do not know, years ago we started going to Atlanta, Georgia for Operation Christmas Child and going to the warehouse and packing boxes and such for the ministry that Franklin Graham has, which on a side note is a tremendous ministry around the world. And as they reminded us this last week, before um, the children received their boxes, the gospel of Jesus Christ is presented. So we praise the Lord for that. But it's been a long time. I was trying to remember how long ago it was. It's been well over 20 years, 20 something years since we've gone. And I was trying to remember who started the rubber band fiasco, but I could only come up with two people, and that was Joan Eubanks and Debbie White. But <laughs> I may have assisted them in that. I do want to take an opportunity, though, this morning to uh, brag on the teenagers. They did a tremendous job this last week. We worked for four hours, and they worked and worked and worked, and uh, I just really, really appreciate you guys. And uh, it, was, it was a thrill for me to, to be able to go with them and just to hang out with them and pretend I'm young. And, you know, so it, it was a great time, and if you... That's right. Amen. Yeah, it's it's a uh, it just reaches. It's it's so practical. Uh, you know, these kids are receiving things that uh, for our teenagers or kids, if they were opening it up, they'd say, what is this? But for, for the kids around the world who are less fortunate, it's a tremendous ministry to put something in their hand, but obviously the greatest gift of all is eternal life through Christ, and they're introduced to the gospel. So we're thankful, and I wanted to say thank you to the youth leaders and to the students who were able to go. You guys did a tremendous, tremendous job. I was very proud of you um, for whatever that's worth. Um, it was uh, tremendous to be able to watch you guys uh, labor for the Lord. Um, this morning we have a few different things that we need to um, talk about, just briefly. You should have received, upon entering the door, two handouts. One concerns our small group ministry and the classes that are available uh, for you beginning in January. Uh, we will actually start January the 9th. You can read through the description of those, but I would just encourage you to pray about becoming involved in small group ministry. My testimony of that is, over the years, um, when I have been involved, not leading a group, being 
in the group with other believers, being able to not only um, center our attention on the Word of God, but being able to just fellowship together and being able to pray with one another is a tremendous, tremendous benefit for the body. There, there are no words. It's just biblical. I mean, the early church met together on a regular basis. That's what it was like. So I encourage you to pray about your involvement in that and where the Lord might have you be in that. Also this morning, um, I wanted to recognize our Sunday school ministry, which takes place on Sunday mornings at 9 o'clock. We have had a tremendous ministry over the years, education ministry in our Sunday school, and um, I guess I would say those guys are the kind of the unsung heroes. They, they're so faithful in the children's ministry and youth ministry and adult ministry, and it's not discussed enough. You know, I, I can say that it's not. Um, I truly appreciate all of you who labor in that capacity, and I know the parents do as well. But there's also involvement in our Sunday school ministry for youth and for um, adults. And I encourage you to take advantage of that opportunity to be able to study in more detail uh, God's Word. And so um, the church was never designed to be a replacement for the family. But I will say this, that there are, there are there's no way to put... Um, Wait on how important it is for you as parents to have your children involved in a ministry where they're learning the Word of God. So they're equipped because by the time they get to third, fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh grade in schools, they're being attacked at the very core of Christian theology, which centers around in the beginning God, and in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. So I would just encourage you to be involved in that ministry. You can read about um, the different classes that are available for you. So I wanted to make mention of that uh, ministry this morning as well. You know, sometimes you um, struggle for words in terms of giving glory to the Lord. Um, The building that we're sitting in um, is paid off. The building that we're sitting, hold on a second, the building we're sitting in is paid off. The building we're not sitting in has a little bit left on it. But I want you to listen to how the Lord has worked over the years. We took out an original loan of $900,000 in October of 2017 to complete what we had started, which was a little over $3.5 million dollars in terms of the total project, including redoing this building. As of August of this year, we refinanced the loan at $400,000. So from October of 17 to August of 21, $500,000 was paid toward that loan. The current balance as we are sitting here this morning, is $226,717. If you remember, and I know you remember everything I say, I just know it, That's I can see it in your face. 
you remember the challenge that was given early in the year that I just, I just really believe the Lord can, and I was encouraged by a person uh, in our congregation, a young person, um, who encouraged me. He said, that I like your vision. I think the Lord can pay it off at the end of this year. I thought, thank you for that challenge. That's exactly what I told him. So I believe the Lord can do it. If that's what he desires for us for this point in time, then it'll happen. I was approached this last week um, by someone that said there are a few families offering up to a $100,000 match over the next 90 days. Now, there isn't 90 days until the end of the year. So I'm still saying, Lord, you can pay it off by January 1st. That's how great you are, and he may. But I want to offer you the challenge that's been set up by a few families in our church that they will match up to $100,000 given over the next 90 days. I hope that within three weeks I can stand up here and say, it's done. You say, Thad, come on now. Hey, look, Dallas Seminary was in a world of hurt years ago. And um, the story goes that they were sitting in a board meeting and they were praying that the Lord would sell some cattle because he owns it all. They were at the point where they were going to have to do something drastic, close the doors potentially. Well, the secretary for the president of the school uh, was in the office and a man, gentleman come, walks in. He's got this big old cowboy hat on. I'm trying to envision this guy, right? He walks in the in the office and um, let's just say this he sold a bunch of cattle and gave the proceeds to Dallas Seminary and they continued so we know the ministry that's come from that that school and so hey the Lord can do it and we're just going to trust him that whenever that is that'll be but we believe don't we that he is the giver of all things he's the one that gives us great gifts and we're just having through our ministry of giving, an opportunity to give back to him. And so I wanted to make mention of this also, that in the time that we have um, been paying toward that building, um, we have still been faithful, you have been faithful, to give to our general fund and missions. And so we praise, praise the Lord for that. I also wanted to make mention of one other thing. Um, we are uh, supporting an orphanage. And um, as you know, the materials are out in the, the foyer there. If you're interested in supporting a child uh, and them receiving uh, gifts, and so you, you pray about that, and, and I think there's still a few more on the table that you'll be able to, after church, go by and uh, pick up an envelope. And you pray about that uh, this morning, and maybe you already have been, that the Lord would lead you uh, in that. Well, this morning, my heart's really full. There's a lot to consider with Mary, and... Um, I just want to pray. Can we do that? Can we just pray that the Lord will lead us and guide us in our worship time today and that he'll be honored? Um, you know what? If, if Mary was here, you know who she would want to honor? Not herself, but her Lord and Savior. So this morning I'm going to ask that we would stand. Let's cl uh, open in a word of prayer uh, this morning. Lord, you are so good, so, so good to us. Your greatness is, in a lot of ways, past finding out. 
we get a glimpse through the scriptures of your greatness. We would pause to say that we may not consider you enough. We are distracted in our lives so easily. Lord, I'm impressed with men and women of the Bible who seem to have an unusual walk and commitment to you. Lord, I believe these have been given to us, as your word tells us, as examples, as encouragement of how we are to live and walk and the things that we are to focus on. Lord, I'm asking this morning that you would help us by your spirit to worship you in spirit and in truth and that you and you alone would be honored through what is sung today and through what is said today. And all this I pray in the wonderful and matchless name of Jesus Christ. Amen. You guys sing with us. Come, the long expected Jesus, born to set thy people free from our fears and sins. Release us, let us find our rest in thee. Is your strength and consolation, hope of all the earth thou art, dear desire of every nation, joy of every longing heart. Born thy people to to reign in us forever, now thy gracious kingdom bring, by thine own eternal spirit, rule in all our hearts alone, by thine all-sufficient merit, raise us to glorious throne. Come now long expected Jesus born to set thy people free from our fears and sins release us let us find our rest in thee is your strength Oh, of all the earth thou art, desire of every nation, joy of every longing heart, desire of every nation, joy of every longing heart. 
guys are celebrating Christmas this time of year, right? And we're talking about gifts. And uh, obviously the greatest gift of all is Jesus, right? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Um, that scripture has been put to music, so you guys let's sing this together. <clears throat> For God so loved the world Yeah. 
It's a privilege to be able to, every week, open God's Word. I never know what my weeks are going to be like. Um, never know. And this one was pretty busy. I'm like, Lord, I need time. He was faithful to give it to me, not exactly at the times that I was hoping for. But he gave it to me. And I just ran out of, did you, there you go. Wow, that was weird. <laughs> um, can I just say to you that it's been fun for me to study about Mary? Is that, that's okay to say that? There are two extremes when it comes to looking at Mary. There's the one that the Roman Catholics take. Um, and their view of Mary is just heretical. I mean, there are a lot of words you could use, but why beat around the bush? Bottom line is it's heretical. They elevate her to a position that she would not and did not do herself. I think it's natural for us at times to elevate people of the Bible. I think Paul is, that happens with the Apostle Paul, I think. I think it happens with David. I think it happens with Daniel. I think it happens with Joseph. I mean, could, the list goes on. They wouldn't want that. They would want us to elevate the Lord. If there's one thing that's come out of this study to this point, it's that as believers, we have a responsibility to elevate the Lord. I'm going to ask you to be patient with me over the next two to three weeks because I think this will take about that long. I'm always a little hesitant to put a time on it because one of the things that happens to you as a public speaker 
is that you can prepare and prepare and prepare and prepare which I do. And the Spirit puts something on your mind as you're standing behind the pulpit. And if you're like me, it's like, okay, Lord, I've got this worked out. But like, no. (laughs) But that's just the way it is. I can't say, Spirit, you know, take a break for 30 minutes or 40 minutes, whatever it is. So as I looked at this particular subject, I immediately knew from experience living in southwest Louisiana and being around a lot of Roman Catholics that their treatment of Mary is heretical. There is one mediator between God and man. One Of course, she knew that. But there is the extreme of Roman Catholicism, and we're not here to outline everything about Roman Catholicism. But there's another extreme. I put neglect. That because there is such a heretical stance in the Roman Catholic Church about Mary, the Protestants' reaction has been Let's just don't talk about her. Hold on a second. (laughs) We can't take that stance. Because the Bible's very clear that Mary was blessed to birth the Messiah. And she's very detailed in her Magnificat, her song, very detailed about her understanding of the Lord. And it's just absolutely astounding when you think about her probable age, which would have been somewhere between 12 and 14 most theologians believe. So when you have the response that she has in her conversation with Elizabeth, you just marvel at the work the Lord had already been doing in her. I've entitled this series on Mary, Young Yet Mature, In that culture, girls, when they got to be approximately 12 to 14 years of age, they were capable of birthing children, and that's when most of them began to have families. So if you're of the mind, well, she couldn't have been 12, and she may not have been 14, all right, we'll just put it right in the middle, she's 13. She's between 12 and 14 years of age. And what she highlights for us about her Lord is astounding. One of the things that we don't do, and I know that culture was different, but 
I think one of the mistakes that the church makes and has made over the years is to discount the usability of teenagers in the church. Well, we'll wait till they're adults. What are you talking about? By the time they're 13 years of age, they've formed a whole lot of thought about the world and a whole lot of thought about who God is and who Christ is. And I understand the cultural differences. I get it. But still, you could say, possibly we could treat teenagers a little different when it comes to their usability in the church. That does not mean that they don't need to learn. But aren't we continual learners ourselves? Answer, yes. There are some key passages about Mary that I think are worth looking at before we get to the Magnificat. And so, like when I was talking to the Lord about this series, I said, Lord, you know how I am. I'm a very person, so I need you to help me to be free of that and point out the passages that need pointing out so that we have a better, maybe, appreciation of Mary as the mother of our Lord and Savior. So, I'm going to fast forward the pages some before we come back to Luke 1. There's an incident in John chapter 2 that I think is worth noting. So, I'm going to ask you to be, right, we used to, when we were kids, have um, sword drills. You guys remember those, right? You can't hardly get people to bring Bibles to church anymore. It's nice, I think, to have your own copy in front of you. But nonetheless, that's enough of that. As long as you have the word in front of you, I guess I'm all right with it. In John chapter 2, this is the first miracle of our Lord. And I find the interaction between the Lord and Mary to be interesting. Chapter 2, verse 1 says, On the third day there was a wedding in Cana of Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. Isn't it interesting, right in the very beginning, <laughs> that John points out the mother of Jesus was there? <laughs> he could have said a lot of things. But he says to begin with, the mother of Jesus was there. Then it tells us, verse 2, And both Jesus and his disciples were invited to the wedding, and when the wine ran out, the mother of Jesus said to him, they have no wine. What do you do with that? How do you see that? When you read that, Jesus and his disciples and Mary are at a wedding. And the Bible says, when the wine ran out, the mother of Jesus said to him, they have no wine. Why would she say that to her son? Because I believe she knew he could do something about it. She lived with him. There is so much silence between the time the Lord was 12 and when he began his public ministry. We just don't have a lot there. But wouldn't it have been interesting to raise Jesus? That would have been great, right moms? Perfect kid. I mean, can you imagine the scuttlebutt in the neighborhood? 
do it like Jesus. I mean, he's perfect. See, theologians do a great job in talking about the deity of the Lord, but his humanity, for some reason, is like hands off. We can't talk about that, but he was a baby, and he was a child, and he was a boy, and he was a man. But he was the Son of God, and he was perfect. Well, verse 4 says, Jesus said to her, Woman, what does that have to do with us? My hour has not yet come, which is a phrase he uses repeatedly throughout the Gospels, pointing to the time where he would march to Jerusalem to be crucified. It wasn't that time. But that phrase there, woman, what does that have to do with us, is an important phrase because it tells us something about the relationship between Jesus and his mother. You say it does? It does. He respected his mother. Now, if you walked up to your wife this afternoon, husbands, and said, woman, I want some lunch. <laughs> that might not work. You, you might come next week with sunglasses on. Or you might not come at all. <laughs> but in this culture, at this time, the Lord could have not used a better term to describe his love and his separation for his own mother. By using the word woman, it's a term of endearment. It's a strong term. It's intended to point out the respect that he had for her. That she was set apart. I like that. I like what is said here about Jesus and about Mary. I think it's a very critical text in kind of understanding a little bit more about the relationship that Jesus had with Mary. There's another passage of Scripture that I think is imperative too, and I would encourage you to go through, and you can read the rest of that in John's. I'm not going to give you everything. You can go through and read it this afternoon. You come back and tell me why he changed water to wine. All right, Rick Oglesby did that to us years ago in a graduate class. He said, men, there's 25 or 30 of us, pastors and missionaries, and he said, why did Jesus turn water to wine? So that's your assignment for this afternoon, one of them. The next passage I want to bring up because of the reason that the Roman Catholic Church elevates Mary, I want you to uh, go to Luke, the 11th chapter. Luke, the 11th chapter. And it's in the context, beginning in verse 14, of when Jesus cast out a demon. And the Pharisees are part of his audience. And we will begin reading in verse 17. Just before this, he says, 
others to test him. It says others to test him were demanding of him a sign from heaven. But he knew their thoughts and said to them, Any kingdom divided against itself is laid waste, and a house divided against itself falls. If Satan also is divided against himself, how will his kingdom stand? For you say that I cast out demons by Beelzebul. And if I by Beelzebul cast out demons, by whom do your sons cast them out? So they will be your judges. But if I cast out demons by the finger of God, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. When a strong man, fully armed, guards his own house, his possessions are undisturbed. But when someone stronger than he attacks him and overpowers him, he takes away from him all his armor on which he had relied and distributes the plunder. He who is not with me is against me, Jesus says, and he who does not gather with me scatters. Verse 24, when the unclean spirit goes out of a man, it passes through waterless places seeking rest and not finding any, it says. I will, re- I will return to my house from which I came. And when it comes, it finds it swept and put in order. Then it goes and takes along seven other spirits more evil than itself. And they go in and live there. And the last state of that man becomes worse than the first. So Jesus is giving a dissertation here on demons. Verse 27, notice this in verse 27. While Jesus was saying these things, so while all this was going on, one of the women in the crowd raised her voice and said to him, Blessed is the womb that bore you and the breast at which you nursed. Was Mary blessed? Answer, yes. There may have been no better time in the life and ministry of Christ to elevate Mary than here. But he doesn't. It's not appropriate. We know that. But notice what he says, verse 28. But he said to the women in the crowd, On the contrary, blessed are those who hear the word of God and do what? Observe it. And we're going to see in Luke chapter 1 that Mary heard from Gabriel and she makes a statement that's absolutely phenomenal. Basically, we're talking about obedience, but we'll get to that in a few moments. So there is no point in the life and ministry of Christ where he elevates Mary in terms of her being co-anything with him. Now that's very, very important in light of Roman Catholic teaching as it relates to not only um, co-redeemer in some minds, and co-mediator in others. Another passage of Scripture that I think deserves attention is at the end of the life of Christ, in John chapter 19. So flip back one more gospel to John 19. In fact, Mary would have been, as far as we know and understand, would have been the only one in human history to be at the birth of Christ and at the death of Christ, which is quite interesting when you think about it. But 
We come to the end of John's gospel and Jesus is hanging from the cross. The Bible tells us that Mary is there, verse 25. We come to verse 26 of John 19. It says, When Jesus then saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to his mother, and here's that term again, woman, behold your son. Have you ever thought about that phrase? I didn't, honestly, think about it a ton until this last week. There are a lot of things that Jesus could have said. Behold your Savior. Would that have been accurate? Answer, yes. Behold your Lord. Appropriate? Answer, yes. You could put all kinds of things Jesus could have said in identifying himself, but he says to Mary, woman, behold your son. To me, it speaks of the relationship still and the care and concern that Jesus had for his earthly mother. He says, woman, behold your son. He's thinking of her even from the cross as he's drawing his last breaths. And then verse 27 says, Then he said to the disciple, This would have been John, Behold your mother. Yeah, that's a weird statement. No, he's just saying, Look, from now on, you're taking care of her. Because by this time, many theologians believe, history would say, Joseph is dead. And so it wouldn't even make sense for her to say, for him to say, behold your mother, if Joseph was around. Obviously, he wasn't. And so the Bible tells us that Jesus speaks to the disciple whom he loved, being John, and he says, behold your mother. And from that hour, the disciple took her into his own household. Obviously, the relationship between The Lord and Mary was a special relationship. And I also believe that kind of gives us a pattern that we are to follow. This is kind of, a, I think, some application in how we treat our parents, our mothers, value our mothers and fathers. You know that Paul speaks about the importance of honoring your father and mother Right in, in Ephesians chapter 6, well, in this particular section, you see Jesus doing that. He's honoring his mother. There's one more text I want to, uh, to look at just briefly before we go to Luke 1, and that's in Acts. So you only have to turn over a couple of pages. This is after the ascension of the Lord. Now, you may look at this and go, well, I don't know how important this is, but when you consider the life and ministry of Christ and you consider how many people were in that upper room, there were 120, guess who's one of them? Mary's one of them. The Bible tells us in verse 12 of chapter 1 of Acts, then they returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day journey away. And when they had entered the city, they went up to the upper room where they were staying, that is, 
Peter and John and James and the disciples. Okay, all the way through there. Verse 14, these all with one mind were continually devoting themselves to prayer. I find it interesting that after the ascension of our Lord, which in some ways was traumatic, although there had been a promise given in terms of his return, still the one that they had been following, right, was gone out of their presence. What do you find them doing first? Praying. That's significant. It says with one mind they were continually devoting themselves to prayer along with the women. And look at here. And Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. So Mary is there. Why is Mary in the upper room? Because Jesus was her son? Why was she in the upper room? Because Jesus was her Savior. That's why. There are passages of Scripture that emphasize more of the human relationship, and then there are passages that speak to the relationship she had with Jesus as her Savior. So I think those are critical passages to kind of unfold and just kind of take a look at briefly before we get into a little bit more of a description of Mary's walk, which comes to us via the Magnificat, which is given to us in Luke chapter 1. So I want you to go back with me to Luke chapter 1 and We won't turn anywhere else for a few moments, all right, because your fingers are maybe tired, but that's okay. Luke chapter 1. Before we come to the Magnificat, we have to set forth the context. And so we're going to have to do a little bit of reading, and that'll be okay. We won't reread all of this next week, okay? So don't think, well, we're going to read it. We're not going to do that. I'm reading it to you right now. But I need to make some comments. Verse 26. Now in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city in Galilee called Nazareth. Two things there. Six months refers back to the time frame between when Elizabeth became pregnant and when Mary goes to Elizabeth when the message comes to Mary. The, the city Nazareth was a no place. It's nowheresville, right? I mean, it's just no... In fact, what good thing, as we know, Scripture tells us, can come out of Nazareth? I mean, I don't know how maybe to compare it today, but, you know, when I was growing up in Louisiana, we had that phrase for a lot of different little towns, you know, and, and there are some towns in Louisiana that when you drive through those towns, the pollution is just unbelievable. And so one of those places was going, going up towards Shreveport, and you drove through Bossier City, and you're thinking, what good thing? Who would want to live here, number one? Have you ever been to a, a town where there's just pollution? And then you drive through, and it has to be on your mind, how in the world do people stay here? Whenever um, uh, Andrew was playing baseball, don't worry, son, this is not going to be a a bad illustration. When Andrew was playing baseball in Iowa one summer, we went to this town. I wish I could remember the name of it, uh, in Iowa, and they had a chicken factory there. 
Now, I love chicken. I love to eat chicken. But dead chickens, they stink. Amen? They stink. I'm sure dead hogs don't stink, though. They probably smell really good, you think? Just had to work that in. When we drove through this town, it absolutely was unbelievable, the stench. It was, who would want to live here? This is Nowheresville. Well, that's how Nazareth was, Nowheresville. I mean, who are you contacting in Nazareth? Well, the Bible says Gabriel was sent from God, key phrase there, from God, to a city in Galilee called Nazareth, to a virgin engaged to a man whose name was Joseph, of the descendants of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. And coming in, he said to her, Greetings, favored one, or the one who grace is being extended to. That's the idea of the word. The Lord is with you. But she was very perplexed or troubled at this statement and kept pondering what kind of salutation this was. Verse 30. The angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor. That word favor there is grace. All right? You found grace with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son and you shall name him Jesus, or Jehovah saves. What was Israel looking for? A Messiah. Okay? I don't think they were looking for it like it first came, obviously. But they were looking for a Messiah. The Bible says, verse 32, He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David. There's a lot here to consider. Because we know that one day, Jesus Christ is coming back with his church. And he will set up ruling and reigning on the earth, on the throne of David, for how long? 1,000 literal years. So there's a lot of theology wrapped up into what Gabriel's saying. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom will have no end. Now, all those things he just said, and here's what Mary heard. How can this be since I'm a virgin? Right? She goes back further. In other words, look at all the, the information, the wonderful description of the Lord here. And she goes back to, how can this be since I'm a virgin? Now, I love this. The grace of the Lord gives her an answer. The angel said, answered and said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you or overshadow you, right? Will overshadow you. And for that reason, the Holy Child will be called the Son of God. So the Holy Spirit is going to overcome Mary's womb and create the Savior of the world. You know, what's interesting is that phrase, overshadow you, when Gabriel explains this to Mary, we know from reading it historically, just what's said here in Scripture, that truly 
um, there was a miracle that took place there by the Holy Spirit producing in Mary, right, this miracle named Jesus. You could say creating this miracle named Jesus. The same phrase, theology, is used in the Old Testament at times, but it's interesting that right from the very beginning of Scripture, you have something here that's very significant as it relates to the Holy Spirit. Because here in Luke, you have the Holy Spirit overcoming or overshadowing Mary, and we know that she gives birth to the Christ child. Okay? That in her womb is the Son of God. Well, in Genesis chapter 1, you don't need to turn there, but I want you to listen to this. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was formless and void. Tohu and bohu in the Hebrew. And darkness was over the surface of the deep. Next phrase. And the Spirit of God was moving over the surface of the waters. And then what happens? There's creation. That's the picture. It's a beautiful picture. It's a great tie-in to the Old Testament. I didn't think of that on my own. Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones. He might not have heard it from somebody else. But there have been several that have made that comment. I thought it was worthy of, of giving to you. But notice what it says in verse 35. The Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. And for that reason, the Holy Child shall be called the Son of God. And behold, even your relative Elizabeth has also conceived a son in her old age. And she who was called barren is now in her sixth month. Look at verse 37. For nothing will be impossible with God. Do you believe that? I mean, if you're just reading these two accounts, there is a distinct difference. Mary doesn't ask for a sign. Zacharias does. I thought that was interesting. We could take off on that for a while. We won't. Nothing will be impossible with God. You know, we ought to live that way. We ought to live that way. Can I just give you something practical to think about? We ought to live that way as it relates to our checkbook. Right? As it relates to our children. Hey, look, the best thing we can do is pray for our children. Lord, they're just not doing, or they just won't go, and well, all right. And then they're 17, 18, 21, 23, and I can't pull them. But we can pray for them because we know the Spirit of the living God changes people. So, I mean, if you're married, like, that's a lot to take in, right? I mean, you, you consider her age and, and you consider what the angel had just told Mary. Your relative Elizabeth has also conceived a son in her old age. I mean, what happened then to her mouth, huh? But I want you to notice verse 38. And Mary said, Behold, the bond slave of the Lord. <laughs> this, listen to me, this is humongous. 
verse 38 is huge. She's telling you her relationship to the Lord. She's the bond slave, which indicates that she is under him and in submission to him and in submission to his will. Question, where does God want us? Under him and in submission to his will. Now, when you consider her age, it's quite remarkable. I just, I mean, I don't know. I, I spent a lot of time just thinking and meditating on something. Like, well, this is amazing. And then she says, may it be done to me according to your word. In other words, she's saying... Whatever the Lord wants, whatever he wants. I remember when that happened to me. I was 21 years old. And I was sitting on the front porch at the old campus of the administrative building at Southeastern. And that, that was a beautiful house. I mean, a beautiful house. Those buildings were unbelievably beautiful. And if you saw the old campus years and years ago, you know that to be the case. And I know one man that absolutely knows it, who I'm looking at, and that's Dr. Hugh Hughley. And you could go and you could sit on the front porch and it overlooked Birmingham. But I remember the day like it was yesterday. It was a significant moment for me. I was sitting on the porch and, and I could see that it was the wintertime, I know, because I could see... The interstates, the interstate system, I am thankful they repaired that nightmare alley that was once there. But I looked at all those interstates, and I remember saying, Lord, whatever you want, wherever you want, however you want, I'm yours. You done that? Sounds like an odd question, maybe. I think it's I think it's something that I look back on now, and I don't necessarily think I would have carved the road out exactly the way the Lord did that. No regrets. None. He led me to the, me and Teresa to the polar ice cap for five years. And by his grace, brought us back to Birmingham. Ministry is not easy. There have been a lot of heartaches, a lot of disappointments, but there's been joy through it all. So that's what happens when you can make a statement like this, like Mary makes. May it be done to me according to your word, what you say. And the angel departed from her. Look at verse 39. Now at this time Mary arose and went in a hurry to the hill country to a city of Judah and entered the house of Zacharias and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped in her womb. (laughs) 
by the way, if you want to do a really good study on your own, study the forerunner of Jesus Christ. Great study. Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit, and she cried out with a loud voice and said, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. None of us in this room deny the Lord blessed Mary. Would we say that? Absolutely we say that. Is Mary worthy of worship? Answer, no. Verse 43, and how has it happened to me that the mother of my Lord would come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby leaped in my womb for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what had been spoken to her by the Lord. And then we have Mary's response in the form of what is called a Magnificat, which is Latin for my soul magnifies the Lord. I'm going to say this probably several times, but you'll be okay. In this Magnificat, in this song, Mary alludes to the Lord 17 times. That's a lot. So the centerpiece of her song is the Lord. There are great lessons in that for us. The centerpiece of our life should be the Lord. The centerpiece in our worship should be the Lord. The centerpiece in our ministry should be the Lord. He is the only one worthy. I want to give you just some initial facts about this Magnificat. And I know what you're thinking because I can read your mind. That was just his introduction and he hadn't even gone through his slides. I know that's what you're thinking. Some of you are. You want, does this man have any kind this man have any concept of time? I do. But I want to share just a few things with you this morning and get into our first point. There are three things here about this Magnificat that I think are important for you to know, and we'll be referring to these as we work our way through the Magnificat. First of all, Mary's Magnificat has strong similarities with Hannah's prayer of thanksgiving in 1 Samuel chapter 2, verses 1-10. through 10. All you would have to do is line them up side by side, and, and you'd be able to see it. In fact, it might be a good exercise for you to do this week. Type out... Uh, Luke chapter 1, 46 through 55, and then go over to 1 Samuel 2, 1 through 10. You do it yourself. I'm going to give it to you as we go along, but it's something that you could do as well. Mary's familiarity with the Old Testament is amazing. Not only is there a reference here in this Magnificat to uh, 1 Samuel chapter 2, but there's Psalms in here. Mary knew the word. Mary knew the word. There's a good takeaway. Mary knew the word. Um, and then the third thing is that the focus of Mary in the song is on the Lord and not herself. Which unfortunately, some of our friends in other places put too much emphasis on Mary and what's going on with her and not enough emphasis on who Mary is worshiping and adoring. That's very critical. Um, I want to just point out this morning the first point. 
And I want us to look at that this morning. I want us to see, first of all, that in Mary's walk, worship was a part of her life. We could say it was her life. And it's interesting that this worship is so internal. I mean, just like she's just, it's just so down in her. These, these thoughts of the Lord are just entrenched in her gut. She knew these things. She wanted to express these things. And we see this expression of worship in these verses. One word that I think summarizes the first two verbs that are used here in this text about her worship is celebration. She was celebrating. She was celebrating her Lord. We celebrate our teams. We celebrate our children. We celebrate anniversaries. Sometimes I think we could use a little bit of help on celebrating the Lord. He is worthy of our celebration. (laughs) At least Mary thought so. In this particular worship, in verses 46 and 47, you see her declaring his greatness. And then you see her rejoicing in the Savior. I want to just deal with the greatness this morning because of time. But I want you to understand what she's saying here. Look at verse 46. And Mary said, my soul exalts the Lord. Look what the definition of that word exalt means. The word literally means to make large or big. Right? So... You're making large or big something. When I was a little boy, I liked magnifying glasses. And um, I would take those magnifying glasses. I only had one. But I'd take my magnifying glass, and I would go outside from time to time. And I loved roly-polies. In Louisiana, there's millions of roly-polies. And I used to take those little roly-polies, you know, the little roly and they're so cute, the little roly-polies, and I would put them in front of me. And it's hard to keep them, you know, from moving unless you have a little box. So sometimes if I really wanted to use my magnifying glass, I'd put them in a little box, and then I'd take my magnifying glass and hold it there. Those things were huge roly-polies. They were magnified in front of me for me to look at every little thing about them. I struggled to find the purpose of roly-polies when I was a boy. I probably eliminated a few roly-polies in my day as a boy. But I could take that magnifier and I could hold it over those little roly-polies and they became monstrous. That's the picture of this word. She's celebrating his greatness. She's exalting his greatness. She's lauding his greatness. She's celebrating his greatness. Whose greatness? The Lord. Not hers. You know what Mary's doing here by, in this song? She's magnifying the Lord by telling others just how great he is. When was the last time you had the opportunity to do that? 
to tell someone just how great the Lord is. I believe we make him large when we speak of him well. So we need to be careful how we speak of him. I didn't realize I already put that up there for you, but this verb that is used here, exalts, is present tense. There's two things about this verb that's important. Number one, it's present tense, so that meant that's what she was doing at that moment. She was exalting the Lord. She was making his name great. That's what she was doing at that moment. But it's also important for you to know that, and this would have been important, guys, when the New Testament was being written, okay? There's reasons you have the word order that you have. You might be bored with that kind of stuff. I'm never bored with that kind of stuff. I love it. In the Greek language, and a lot in Latin language, you have the verbs that appear at the beginning of the sentence, emphasizing the action of the person. You say, Thad, how important is that? Very important. So exalting the Lord would appear first. Exalting the Lord, my soul. She was exalting him. And he is the only one worthy of exaltation. He's the only one worthy of greatness. A couple of things to share with you and we'll be done for this morning. 1 Samuel chapter 2, verse 1 says, My heart exalts in the Lord. My horn is exalted in the Lord. Like that, what in the world is that horn thing? How many of you are asking that question? Well, it's a picture of animals what it is in the Old Testament. It was used as a picture of animals and it points to the strength that animals have in their horns. And I've told you this story before but it so illustrates the point. We were on vacation and I'm going to tell you who we were with. We were with Andy and Joan Eubanks. How many of you are familiar with Andy and Joan Eubanks? We were in Vermont. My wife who's wonderful. I'll preface all of what I'm about to say. She's wonderful. We're on vacation. And one of her desires on the trip was to see a moose. And so that's fine. And we're coming back after a long day of being out. And we're almost back to the place that we're staying. And we round this corner in this vehicle that we were in, which was not very large compared to what we saw. We round the corner, and there is a moose standing in the middle of the road, not bothered by us at all, staring at us. Andy was sitting in the front seat. Teresa and Joan were in the back seat. And I don't remember which one to give credit to, but they were both excited about it. I remember that. There's a moose. Let's get out and pet the moose. (laughs) I wish you could have seen Andy's face. 
Andy has great faces whenever he's thinking, what in the world? So he's got this face, and he's got, you guys do know, that's a wild animal. You know, people have been beat to death, right, by moose. So the picture here is, as, as, as Hannah is, is singing this to the Lord, it's a picture of strength. So Hannah is saying, my strength is exalted in the Lord. In other words, that's where I'm going with what I've got. It's good stuff. Did y'all bring a lunch today? Let's just keep going, right? A couple more things. Psalm 34, verses 1 through 3. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul will make its boast in the Lord. The humble will hear it and rejoice. Oh, magnify the Lord with me. Let us exalt his name together. You see some similarity there with what's going on here. And then in Psalm 103, verses 1 and 2, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless His holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul. And forget none of His benefits. And he goes into those benefits. A.W. Pink said this, Happy the soul that has been awed by a view of God's greatness. Where do you get a view of God's greatness? You got to be in the book. But we get it with creation, right? We know that. But we get it in the Word. I'll close with this. In 1715, I don't think there was too many people around during that time that's in this room today. King Louis XIV of France died after a 72-year reign. You know what he called himself? The Great. And was the monarch who made famous the statement, I am the state. His court was the most magnificent in Europe, and his funeral was equally spectacular. As his body lay in state in a golden coffin, Orders were given that the cathedral should be very dimly lit with only a special candle set above his coffin to dramatize his greatness. At the memorial, thousands waited in hushed silence for what was about to be said, they presumed, of King Louis' greatness. But then the bishop, Massillon, began to speak. Slowly reaching down, he snuffed out the candle and he said this, Only God is great. Let's pray together. Truly, Lord, you only are great. We use a lot of vocabulary words at times to describe events, different things that go on, even people, and we throw terms around, and I've been very guilty of it in the past. 
And I'll probably use the word great this week many times. But when I come to Luke chapter 1, I see that Mary's response to what was transpiring in her life was, number one, the Lord is great. That's her celebration. Your greatness. And indeed, Lord, there is no one like you. Help us to rekindle that thought. Help us to have the humility of mind that Mary had about you. Lord, as we enter this Christmas season, I pray that we would be encouraged by the walk of a teenager who you used in an incredible way to accomplish your purposes. May we be as Mary and say, whatever it is, Lord, whatever you want to accomplish through us, may we be submissive to that. All this we pray in the matchless name of Christ. Amen. Guys, let's all stand as we uh, close our service this morning. It seems like an appropriate uh, Christmas carol uh, to close the service with. What child is this who lay to rest on Mary's lap? Yes, sleeping, whom angels greet with anthems sweet, while shepherds watch our keeping. This, this is Christ the Shepherds die and
trust that this afternoon you'll have good fellowship and that as the Lord gives you opportunities to um, proclaim his greatness that you'd be faithful and I would be faithful uh, to do that. You are dismissed. Hi, Amen.